Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Stephen Robinson. Stephen is a director at Robinson Training Services, a family-run business in Essex offering bespoke training. Stephen, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you. Now, thank you ever so much, Stephen, for taking the time to come onto the air and speak with me. Now, the purpose of this podcast series is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole. And I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that leadership's really being put to the test at the moment with the COVID-19 situation and different business leaders having to really feel their way through the crisis. Tell me, for somebody in your industry, how has it been trying to navigate the last few weeks and a couple of months? Because I can imagine it's been quite a challenge. It has been quite a challenge. Um, we was actually um, shut down a week before the actual lockdown. So we've been in lockdown quite as a business quite a lot longer. Um, so right at the beginning, it was quite worrying. We had to take drastic action. Um, I shut my business down um, on the Thursday. Uh, so I spent all weekend phoning the staff, letting them know. Um, we were unsure because um, the furlough wasn't even brought out then. So that was a worrying time as well, how the staff were going to get paid. Um, some of my uh, employees are self-employed, the drive instructors. So they were quite worried of where they, what they was going to do. So we spent a whole weekend, phone, I phoned companies that I've been dealing with uh, as a training provider in the transport industry and um, most of my drivers, my instructors got placed as drivers um, in different companies ranging from Sainsbury's to Tesco's, uh, which was a great relief to me. But um, then I've got trucks sitting there that was doing nothing. Um, so the next thing was to ensure my whole fleet just to try and save costs and get the um, guns sawn off the road. Uh, so the first week was quite busy trying to um, lessen the impact financially um, alongside worrying about what was going to happen in the future. We actually thought it might only be for a couple of weeks, but as it turned out, um, the last um, we were told quite quickly that as an industry, we would most probably not be going back to work to training uh, until the end of June, beginning of July. And at the moment, that still stands. So it's been quite a tough few weeks for us, really. Mm, so. And it's tested the ability of business, hasn't it, Stephen, to be proactive as well as reactive, of course, planning for certain eventualities. Yeah. Um, when, when things are good, you don't think about when things are going to go bad. Um, uh, my company's been running 15 years and we've been through two recessions and the recessions hasn't, really hasn't worried us that much because uh, you can sort of plan for the recession and you can adjust to a recession but when you're shut down within days um, there is no plan right at the beginning and I've got to be quite honest I've gone through a plan A and I've gone through a plan B and at the moment, I'm trying to think of a plan C. So all the time, as as the situation evolves, 
we're trying to adjust all the time to this involvement of the um, of the coronavirus. Um, I, I, it's nice to know that we're finally coming out of lockdown, but the impact on our business by the end of June, beginning of July, if we're not allowed to carry on training um, as a business, I may have to restructure and cut down the size of my company, which would be a great shame. Because obviously at the end of that, that means that I'll be letting staff go, which um, in any situation for any business is, is not good. So, it's certainly something um, to hopefully avoid uh, for sure. Um, even though, of course, it's a very, very challenging time for businesses all over the country, Stephen, do you think that there are perhaps some positives to be drawn from the experience of dealing with this um, pandemic? Because, of course, that breeds resilience, doesn't it, experience such as this for those businesses it, that do get through? It does. Um, at the beginning, it's very um, doom and gloom, and I should imagine the the, the only the, 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 if there's one positive thing that is, as a business owner, that is coming out of this is that, yes, my business has been closed, yeah. Yes, it's got a financial impact. But the only positive thing, thing that I can think of, there is thousands and thousands of small businesses like mine up and down the country that are in the same situation that I'm in. And I know that you shouldn't take comfort out of that, but as a business, I look at it that my business is shut, not because it's something that I've done. I haven't made a bad business decision. I haven't invested in something that I shouldn't have invested in that's brought my business to a standstill. This is a worldwide pandemic, and all over the world, there's businesses like me all struggling. We're all thinking the same. Um in my industry, I've talked to a lot of people in the industry. They're all in the same boat. But we're all looking on the positive side that we will, if we can survive. It doesn't matter It doesn't matter if I end up with all my training staff and the size that I am now. If I go back and I've still got a business at the end of this, I think that I can rebuild my business in a positive way. Even though we know we're going to go into a session at the end of it, I can cope with that, and I think I can structure and rebuild within the next year to two years. I think I can get my business back up to where it was um, before the pandemic uh, come about. That's a massive so point that, that is, as well. Yeah. So for me, as a business owner, that that really, if I don't think if you can't look on a you, you know, we talk about leadership and even though my staff are working elsewhere and some are furloughed, um, the most important thing I think as a business leader is to keep in contact with them mm. on a weekly basis just to see how they are. I'm a, as I say, I'm a family-run business, so the guys that work for me, we are one big family. We, that's how we run our business as a family. Um, so it's important for me to keep in contact with them uh, and the feedback that I keep getting is as soon as we restart these uh, guys and these girls will come straight back to me so the jobs that some of them are doing they just look at it as a temporary job 
and they want to come back and work for my company. So in my leadership, my leadership still carries on now with me making the phone calls that I need to make to make sure that they're all right, the family's all right, is there anything we can do for them? And it's, it's just nice to keep in contact and try to, how can I put this, keep on motivating them, even though they're not with me, which is quite hard to do, actually. But um, you've got to forget your own troubles and try and motivate the people that you have working for you because obviously when we come back I need these people back with me because they've been with me most of my staff have been with me for over five six years and I need them to rebuild my business so that's a positive thing Um, so we're positive about how we're going to come out the other end it's really good to hear that it's really good to hear that there's some positivity there and it's so important as you say Stephen to take people with you as a business leader and one of the best ways of doing that as you so well put there is to show people that you are considerate of them care about them keep them reassured as well even if you don't have all of the answers yourself as a leader and also most importantly to communicate it it is is so so important Uh, I've got to say one of the things that I've stopped doing now is I've actually stopped watching the news because um, the news is so negative that I think that it is um, it would drag me down if I kept watching the news. Um, I've got to say, um, if we're talking about leadership, um, don't care what political persuasion you are, um, I think we're getting really great leadership at the moment uh, for this country. Uh, but obviously there's negative press as always. And I think if you listen to the negative press, this will actually drag the whole country down. Um, So that's one thing I've stopped doing, watching the news, concentrating on what I need to do and trying to keep as positive as I can about what we're doing and thinking about the future, thinking how my company can operate as people say, in a new world, in a new situation. Because that's important going forward for us to keep working is we've got to come up with solutions to the problem that's going to be ongoing for maybe another year or Mm. uh, until a vaccine is found. Because we do work, um, obviously we do driver training uh, for the transport industry and the two-metre rule um, is very, very hard to get up to get over uh, because there's not a two metre gap within the vehicle so we've got to think of solutions mm. um, to to get around that um, I would like a little bit more leadership of the uh, government organisation that we work with or alongside which is the DVSA um, to maybe get in contact with us more to ask their advice more um, how we can go about getting back to doing the job that we was doing, which for the nation is quite an important um, important job because it's proved that the transport industry that I've, I've been working in for 30 years is a major, major thing within the country because without the guys that drive these trucks, uh, we've been a bigger mess than we are at the moment. So it's important that we replenish this industry with new drivers, and so we've got to find a way and I think we need help of the DVSA to find a way 
where we can train safely uh, in 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 close quarters. So, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a lot um, of work to do, uh, Stephen, it seems. and um... we, we, we have got a lot of work to do. Uh, we've got a lot of... The, the trouble with um, our... with the training industry, it's very fragmented. So, as I said to you, when things are good, we're very solitary as companies. We're very, very solitary because um, it's quite a cut and thrust um, business to be in. Uh, the competition is quite fierce. Uh, so we don't really, as a industry, as a training industry, we don't work on a collective basis, which is really quite a shame. Um, because if we had that collective basis before this coronavirus, I think as an industry, we could have worked together and worked for it a lot far better than what we're doing at the moment. So that, that that is something that I think when we do come out of this, uh, the whole industry needs to look at. But we do look for leadership from the DVSA because they, as a government organisation who we work under, um, they are our, how can you put it, they are our main focus, our main leaders. But if we're not getting any information or any suggestions from them, it's very hard to move forward with knowing what they actually want to keep us not just my structure safe but obviously the main thing is we're dealing with members of the public so we, we need to keep them safe um, and what is the best solution for us but there's been but there's been no consultation between uh, the DVSA and the schools um, we just get an email generic email off of them but it doesn't offer no solutions so uh, it's very hard I've got to say it's, it's very very hard to keep positive and know what direction that we need to start going in and hope I mean we really need to know because if we are allowed to go back to work um, the end of June beginning of July we know we need to know sort of now what precautions, what safety precautions, health and safety we need to put in place in our trucks so we can carry on training for the future of the transport industry. Exactly. Without without that, we're we're sort of a bit of a loss at the moment. So, yes, um, so we do look for leadership, but we need to... um, we need to find our own solutions and hopefully them solutions will be good enough to move our companies forward. But at the moment, we'll, I think I'm quite positive about everything that I can do and hopefully when this is all over, at the end of it, uh, we can survive as a company and build again as a company. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, I've been running for 15 years now, so it's been very, very hard work in the last 15 years the last year and a half we felt we was reaping the rewards of uh, a business that we put my um our, my my whole life has been for the last 15 years is building this business up uh i've been very lucky as so i own a family business some of my wife works with me as well and she has put all we put that for us our whole last 15 years 
the whole focus has been about Robinson's training. Uh, and now it was sort of, right at the beginning, it's also been snatched away from us. So everything we've done for 15 years, in fact, it was 15 years yesterday that our business was um, first registered. So it's been, first couple of weeks were tough, but then you either go through one or two things. You either go down and, or you look on the positive side and find solutions and try to keep everything afloat, which I've done. Um, and we will come, I've got no doubt that we will come out as a business at the end of this. So, and then we can get back to work and help the industry out in, in, in what they need. So, um, is there anything else you need to ask me? I think um, you've uh, shown that you've got a great deal of ambition for the uh, the future, Stephen, to keep the business alive and also to provide the solutions that the industry so desperately needs going forward. Um, I've got to say, I think that was uh, very insightful. And also, um, it's been a real pleasure um, having you on the uh, the programme with us, Stephen. Um, I've really, really enjoyed uh, speaking and hearing from you as to what's going on within the industry. And I'm sure the listeners tuning into this as well will also be taking um, a great deal uh, from this as well. Well, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you because um, it's, this, this has been like therapy for me. Um, it's very hard to uh, get your opinions across um, to um, an e- in an email because that's the only way we can contact the BVSA is by email. So to actually talk to someone that's prepared to listen to maybe the problems and solutions that you've got is absolutely fantastic. So I'd like to thank you as well. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to come onto the air with us and do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on in the meantime as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you ever so much. That was Stephen Robinson, Director at Robinson Training Services. Uh, Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional footballer, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoyed Enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff about the topic of leadership, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. 
And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But found, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath and there was nobody and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me the, um, all hard-nosed professionals good good teammates mm. good socially and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players, it... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is, the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Uh, Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.